Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today's podcast topic came from my students. So it was one day before a postnatal yoga class and several of the students were gathered and they seemed to be having quite a heated conversation. And I was setting up my mat and getting ready and setting up the computer for a hybrid class. And I was starting to listen to what they were talking about. And they were talking about anger and resentment towards mainly their partners. And so I asked them, I said, you know, can you tell me a little bit of what's going on? And they shared about feeling like so much of the burden of being a new parent was on their shoulders. And I could tell there was rage, there were tears, it was heavy. And so I thought, okay, this is what the students are talking about. This is what we need to have a conversation with about for the podcast. So I did some research and I found a wonderful speaker who's going to talk about this. We're going to talk about why it's so common to have anger and resentment during the postpartum period and then some tangible ways to work with your partner to lessen that anger and resentment. We're going to go into how to set boundaries, talking about self-care, prioritizing it. That's something I've had to work really hard for. And so to have this conversation, I have Lauren Tettenbaum. So let me tell you a little little bit about Lauren. She's an advocate and therapist who specializes in supporting millennial and young women through life transitions, including professional and personal identity shifts. She's a mom of two, a licensed social worker certified in perinatal mental health, and a fair play facilitator, and she's a former attorney. So Lauren gave some great practical tools, and it's a really wonderful concise conversation. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Now, before we get to that conversation, I just want to say a quick thank you. We are now entering a new year, which is kind of baffling. And it's just always exciting to see how things are progressing. We still have our online classes every single day. So no matter what time zone you're in, no matter where you're in the world, our community is growing um, because we have this ability to connect. And of course, we still have our classes on the Upper West Side. And then we've got in-studio workshops, and we are now complete for all of our in-studio workshops, have a counter workshop on on demand because I know you can't always get into the studio. Our timetable is not necessarily your timetable. So we've now completed our on-demand library. It is full. It is exciting. And I'm so proud of what we have to offer. And then just one more thing I want to touch on before I get to my conversation with Lauren. It is about our teacher training. So we have been plowing forward. I think it's 17 years we've been doing this teacher training. And it's funny, one of my students in teacher training, she's like, Deb, there's no page numbers in the manual. 
And I said, I know. And <laughs> she's like, well, why is that? I said, because we're constantly evolving it. In the 17 years that we've been running this program, things have changed. I've learned more. I've added into the training. I continue to educate myself. And so our training has evolved and I'm just so, so proud of it. So if you are looking for a very thorough in-depth training to support the perinatal person for prenatal yoga, check out our training, prenatalyogacenter.com. Of course, we also have our upcoming online postnatal training. So lots of good stuff. Okay. That is it from me. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Lauren. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's truly my pleasure. I'm really excited to get into this topic. So the whole reason that I reached out to talk about anger and resentment postpartum is because honestly, my students were talking about it in one of our postnatal classes and the conversation is getting pretty heated. And I thought, oh, geez, we need to have a conversation, a podcast about this. So I'm very excited to dive in because I think you're going to give some really tangible tools to help folks not feel resentment towards their partners. But before we get into that, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and what led you to becoming a social worker that focuses on perinatal mental health. Sure. And yes, this is definitely a common experience and it's wonderful to provide the space to acknowledge it, normalize it, and then of course to improve upon it. So we will get into how we can do that. Um, My name is Lauren Tettenbaum. I am a mom. I'm a New Yorker. And I am also a social worker, like you said, focusing on perinatal mental health. I have always been passionate about supporting women. I went to graduate school for my master's in social work, as well as my law degree to specifically work with women in vulnerable situations. And I used to practice immigration law. I worked with a lot of refugees and victims of domestic violence, among other clients. But during the pandemic and after I had had two children of my own who were born in 2016 and 2018, I decided to focus specifically on maternal mental health and advocacy for moms because I recognized how much work there was to be done. And I really wanted to provide the support that I wish I had had when I became a mom. Hmm. Oh, I really like that. Now you are able to provide it for others. That's, you know, I hear that from so many people. It's what was lacking in one's own experience that ignites them to make changes. So I am sad it was hard for you, but I'm also happy that it gave you an outlet to help others. So I guess so let's jump into... It's a big topic, Mm. anger and resentment. So why is it so common for anger and resentment to emerge during postpartum? Sure. So as I'm sure all of your listeners and clients in your studio know, the postpartum period is incredibly transformative, emotional, 
a lot of things are unexpected, even when they go according to whatever plan we might have. Mm -hmm. Um, And that includes our heightened levels of emotion. And also I want to highlight our heightened levels of exhaustion, right? Mm -hmm. We are at, at baseline, everybody with a new baby is very tired. And when you're very tired, you are not emotionally at your best in terms of resolving conflict, expressing yourself, et cetera. And studies show that up to one in five birthing women experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder in the pregnancy period up to the one year of the baby's birth. And people hear that stat and they might say, well, you know, anger and resentment isn't a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. But I would counter that they are symptoms of one. Um, Mm. Mom rage is a term we often hear. And that is actually, it could be postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. And the anger and resentment that we frequently see are just manifestations of symptoms like sadness, overwhelm, anxious thoughts, et cetera, coming out as anger and resentment. Mm. All right, go more into mom rage, because I think that... Uh, I'm not postpartum anymore, but I still think I have that sometimes. Can you talk a little bit more about what that is, how that's classified? I absolutely can. Um, And there are a couple of really great books out now that I'll plug um, by Nina Dubin and Jess Gross about mom rage to dive in deeper. Um, I'm glad that you raised the issue of, you know, you're not postpartum anymore. Neither am I technically. My children are nearly five and seven. But I think that mom rage, I I know (laughs) through my work, through my personal life, that mom rage and, you know, what we would call a mood disorder or an anxiety disorder certainly do affect women and mothers at a high rate. And again, rage is really a manifestation of other symptoms that we can clinically diagnose as anxiety or depression, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It just comes out looking a little bit different than one might think when they hear words like depression. But really, it's when our emotional systems are so dysregulated, and maybe we yell, or maybe we, you know, angry cry, whether it's at our kids, our partner, you know, from an email that makes us feel super angry. And it's because our emotions are so dysregulated, and we don't have the time and space and energy and strategies to properly and helpfully cope with them. Mm. All right. That makes a lot more sense. All right. I'm going to pull us back to resentment because this is something I really heard from my students. Like they, and they even said the word resentment, like I resent my partner for, you know, multiple things that they went through, but what are some of the typical factors that contribute to postpartum resentment? Because I think if we can understand some of the factors, we can then turn the conversation to tangible ways to lessen this. So why, what are some of the factors? Sure. So let's also clarify that I think you're asking about resentment towards the partner. Partner, yes. But I do want to say that I see a lot of resentment often towards other cultural systems. Oh, sure. Let's dive into that too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because a lot of people feel resentful that they don't have paid leave or that their, you know, their mother or their in-laws or whatever it is are demanding certain things of them. And, you know, they have resentment around that. Um, 
all of that, I think, comes to the the point that resentment is because of expectations that are unfair upon the the birthing person, the mom, let's just say. Um, whether it's expectations that she's supposed to behave a certain way or feel a certain way or do certain things or that her partner isn't. And Mm -hmm. what I see most commonly and what I suspect your students were referring to were scenarios in which the partner was not behaving in a way that really is a partner. Um, Whether that's not knowing what the baby's feeding schedule is or how to give baby a bath or, um, you know, how to even begin to look into childcare, things like that. And all of these things contribute to mom's mental load being extremely heavy. And again, she's exhausted and emotional, obviously. And so it sort of boils over. Yeah, one of my students helped me because I kind of have this vague recollection. She said she was feeding the baby in the middle of the night and she looked over and her husband was sleeping. And she's like, I was so angry at him for sleeping. And she was up. She's like, I wanted him just to be up because I was up. And I'm like, I think I've been there. I understand. I think we've all been there. (laughs) All right. So let's dive into some strategies. So I guess... um, before the baby arrives, these should be, I guess, conversations. What are some tangible ways that partners can lessen the anger and resentment during the postpartum period? And again, I, those listening, as we go through these, write them down if you're not you know, driving or something, because if we can talk about them before baby comes, it might make that postpartum time a little smoother. Definitely. Um, although I will say that we can only plan so much. So much, of course. <laughs> and I'm sure all of your students know that too. Um, and I'm sure you teach, you know, mindfulness and, and accepting what is in front of us, right? Mm-hmm. So even the best laid plans don't don't always go that way. Um, but I certainly appreciate the proactive, preventive strategies that you're alluding to. And it really all boils down to communication. Um, communicating what it what the mom thinks it should look like, for example, regarding visitors in the hospital when baby gets home from the hospital, um, what sorts of supports are available, who is taking parental leave and when, um, what would childcare look like, and does dad have any clue, right? A lot of my clients, their husbands, and I'm just using heteronormative language here, but certainly there are a lot of different dynamics. Um, But a lot of my clients, their husbands, you know, don't even know what the Facebook group about childcare or just local neighborhood children, they don't even know that that Facebook group exists, right? And arguably, maybe it's not for them. But I would argue that because they don't even know what the group is talking about, they don't even know what they should be thinking about, Mm -hmm. right? And it becomes mom's problem from the very beginning, from the baby expectant stage. Um, You know, it's the moms looking into what kind of stroller to get, uh, what kind of formula to purchase, all all of those things. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying, you know, all men are lazy and not um, 
involve fathers, but it's a cultural conditioning that we're all subject to where it is the mom's burden to carry. And so it's so important to even just make your partner aware of the Facebook group, for example, um, or say, you know what, I was reading about, um, you know, let's say baby massages. And I think it would be helpful if you take a look as well, right? Because otherwise mom is just in this world without her partner. And, and then you're setting yourself up for a situation in which she's the default parent. Mm -hmm. What about the idea of planning certain things like a night feed? So we know exhaustion is definitely one of the things that parents, new parents suffer from. So if, even if someone is choosing to breastfeed, they could always have a bottle ahead Mm -hmm. of time. So opening a discussion, be like, I'm likely going to be exhausted. I would love for you to take the 3 a.m. feed. So mm-hmm. I'm not doing all of them. What are your thoughts on the dividing housework up? So these are the kind of things I was thinking about ahead of time that can have a conversation. Of course, we have to be flexible with, we deal with what's mm-hmm. in front of us. But those are some of my thoughts. And I know since you have the background as a fair play facilitator, I'd love if you could share some of your thoughts on how to I guess, divvy up the work or have a conversation about each person's tasks. I don't know if I'm going too off the side here. No, I I think you're hitting it on the head. Um, So I... Going back to the the feed in the middle of the night, um, I love that you brought this up because one of the biggest factors in alleviating perinatal mood and anxiety disorder symptoms is sleep. Sleep is so important and also so elusive. But we've developed this culture where even if mom is not nursing on the breast, where it's sort of her job, right? And part of that is because often dads go back to work uh, before mom's leave is over. And so a lot of my clients and women I know say, well, you know, whether I'm breastfeeding or bottle feeding, he's going to work in the morning and I'm home with the baby. So I'll just do the night feeding. I don't believe that this is a structure that works. I see time and time again that women are exhausted by this. They're at risk of mental health challenges because of this. And they really do need at least five hours of a chunk of sleep, right? And it's very possible, as you said, even if you're breastfeeding, you can feed with the bottle, et cetera. Um, So it's very possible to set that up. So I think that that is a wonderful, tangible kind of schedule to implement. And of course, it can be modified as needed, right? What if dad has a big meeting one day? Sure, maybe that the night before that one, he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think that absolutely should be should be a given. Um, when it comes to housework and things like that, what Eve Rodsky, the creator of Fair Play Calls, is the system in which the partner or whomever will hold the card they will hold the card of doing the house cleaning, doing the dishes, um, cooking, writing the thank you notes. Or in fact, you can toss the thank you note card, for example. Um, and every family and every dynamic looks different. 
But the main strategy, like we said earlier, is to communicate about them. Maybe mom says, I really love thank you notes and actually I'm happy to do them. Fine. I wouldn't choose that, but she <laughs> might. Um, and, and that's okay. But then, you know, she should, I think, uh, relinquish control, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment, um, of other things so that she isn't burning herself out. And she should enable her partner to, again, be a real partner. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm always about creating my questions ahead of time. There's so there's a question I, was, I have slated to ask, and I'm wondering if it's too loaded. It's about, and the reason I even wrote this question again, I, I asked my students what they want to talk about. And one of them, I guess she had a little meltdown with her partner about expectations. She had expectations of how she expected her partner to work with her. And they, and her partner's like, these are unrealistic. So maybe that's too specific, but how do we set expectations for our partners that are realistic? And I guess you're probably going to say communication, but I feel like there should be more to it than that. Yeah. Um, I will, I'll actually refer back to fair play and answering this because it comes down to what Eve Rodsky calls a minimum standard of care. And maybe doing the laundry, you know, I'm making this up, but maybe mom expects the laundry to be done for everything to be ironed, uh, put away, you know, twice a day. Maybe that's what she prefers. And maybe dad is saying, you know what? I don't think that's realistic. I, I, I'm happy to do the laundry, but I can't do it that way. So in the fair play system, when I'm working with couples in tackling these sorts of issues, we come up with a minimum standard of care. And if mom is saying, I really need you to do the laundry and I need you to do it my way, we tap into, you know, why does she feel so strongly about this? Um, Is this reasonable? Is there room for her to let go a bit? Um, As a therapist, I would encourage her to practice letting go a bit. Maybe he doesn't iron every day. See how that feels. See if she can sit with it. And if she really can't, then I would say, then mom, you keep the laundry card and dad can do something else. Mm -hmm. Um, In general, and and this does go back to social conditioning, even though, of course, some personalities are different than others and some people are more organized than others, et cetera. Um, But in general, women are conditioned to especially when it comes to housework, to be, you know, more organized, more reliable, kind of thinking ahead. But there's really nothing in biology that says, you know, women are better at the laundry. I mean, that's BS. So um, everyone can learn. And I think that you do have to not just say, please do the laundry, but be specific in what your expectations are around that and then kind of break down whether that is reasonable and, and how each person feels about it. All right. That leads us perfectly into my next question. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back. We're going to talk about why sometimes we feel like we might as well just do it, you know, do the project or do the whatever. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. So that leads perfectly into, again, one of my postpartum students was saying, she's like, I just hate when my partner doesn't diaper the baby the way I like to, or doesn't swaddle. So I might as well just do it myself. It's just easier. And then they're super resentful that they're taking on more. So let's again, talk about how to break that cycle. I guess I'm answering my own question about communication and relinquishing control, but that's not so easy. It's not so easy. And I should note that I'm a recovering control freak. So I, I love that I call it recovering <laughs> control freak. We got to talk more about that in a second. Too. <laughs> yes. And I feel that I am, as I get more into middle age and motherhood, I, I'm pleasantly surprising myself with my more kind of chill approach um, because I really always used to be very, very, very type A, rigid. And I would sort of pride myself on that. And I I absolutely was the person who said, you know what, I'll just do it myself. Um, so I have many clients that feel this way. And one of the questions that I ask them in response to their sharing anecdotes around these issues is, you know, well, how do you feel doing it yourself, right? Maybe you feel productive, but you're also feeling pissed off. And I think you have to weigh those against each other and choose to empower your partner. Um, I also encourage them to think about, again, this, this language is important, but think about their partner as a partner, not their assistant, not someone to whom they're delegating, right? But someone who is on their team, equally invested in the child, in the family dynamic, and perhaps better at certain tasks than others, just as we all have different skills and preferences, but really think of them as fully capable and wanting to contribute to the households in an equal way. Um, And it doesn't mean that it has to be equally divided, like Evronsky says, 50-50, but it does have to feel fair. And I always say to my clients, start with something low stakes, right? Um, maybe it's not the laundry for the example of the woman I just said, because laundry, for whatever reason, is incredibly important to her. But maybe it is the diaper bag, Um you know, if you leave the house and the diaper bag isn't perfectly packed, probably it will all be fine. So I would say explain, right? If you feel like you need to, that you like to do the diaper bag a certain way, but now, you know, the task is being handed over to dad and let dad do it and see how it feels. It's a little bit like exposure therapy and getting used to releasing some of your control. Because you do have to go back to the bigger picture of, yeah, maybe you are, you know, doing it in the organized way, 
but you're not in a good place. You're emotionally Mm -hmm. unsatisfied, burnt out and resentful. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. All right, I'm going to shift gears to talk about self-care. Now, I feel like that's a little bit of a buzzword. Everyone's like, self-care, self-care. So let's talk about, before we talk about prioritizing it, let's just define what does it mean? Because I think it means more than like, I'm going to take a bath and get a facial. So what would you, how would you define self-care? Yes. Um, and I agree with you. There actually has been pushback lately with against the bath and facial idea. But there's nothing I, wrong with a bath and facial. Exactly. I'll say that. Like I love a good bath. I love a good facial. But I think there it I think it does go deeper than that. Absolutely. When I think of self-care, I really think of that old, you know, airline airplane guidance of you must put on your oxygen mask first before you help a child or someone else. Um, Because if you are not doing well, no one that you're taking care of will be doing well either. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what does that mean? I think it absolutely varies on on who you are and what your day looks like. Um, Some days self-care means turning off work at a certain time and meeting up with a friend for a meal and laughter. Um, Sometimes it means engaging in a 10-minute meditation. Sometimes it means catching up with your spouse and not you know, going out for social plans because you just need to recharge. So I really think it depends on a variety of factors, but that word recharge, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Rest and recharge, I would say. Um, And I think, and we know that women tend to not prioritize themselves. They are again, conditioned to think that self-care is selfish. You know, they, they'd sooner book their appointments for the dentist, the doctor, et cetera, for their children and not for themselves. I'm so guilty of that. Absolutely. We all are, right? I the other day I, I had a health issue and I, I was reluctant to call the doctor. Everything's fine. But I said to myself, if this were happening to my kids, you know, I, I would have called three days ago. Um, but because it was me, I was sort of like, oh, I'll deal with it later. And, you know, and then I kind of woke myself up um because you know, I, it's always easier to give advice than to take it yourself. Mm-hmm. But I, I do personally generally prioritize self-care. And even if that's a small moment of joy each day, I think that that goes a very long way. Yeah. I have had to learn to prioritize it for myself. So my, as my kids got older, they're staying up later, which is very difficult for me because I like sleep. I like to to be, I'd like some time by myself and I wake up before they wake up in the morning so I can exercise and, you know, ride or do a yoga class. So I have to go to bed early. And for a while we were always like reading before bed or playing a card game. And I let it kept getting pushed later and later because I keep thinking, oh, you know, they're getting older. They're not going to want to spend this time with me. I have to do this. So we, we had this time together and it was getting to the point that by the time they were ready for bed, I was like, I had like maybe 15 minutes to read or watch Netflix before I fell asleep. I'm like, that's not, that's not enough for me. So Mm. I finally had to set a very definitive time. I'm like, okay, we can, you know, play a game of cards or we can read together. But at this time, 
I, I'm done. I feel like a cab mm-hmm. where I turn my light off, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they pushed back, but I have been able to hold to that. And it's really, really, really helped me. So that's one way that I have found a way to prioritize. But can you talk a little bit about in the family structure? Sometimes that's not so easy. Like my kids are old enough that they can then say, all right, I'm going to just, you know, tuck myself in. But how do you do that when you have really little ones to, to find that prioritizing time? So how do you, how does one prioritize for themselves that way? Yeah, I think, as you said, even when it is with little kids, I think you have to communicate it. Um, my husband and I, I love the example you gave because I too love my alone time in the evening and catching up on my shows and, you know, just being alone, quite frankly. (laughs) Um, and my husband and I will sometimes give each other kind of nights off and it's not for work. It's for this play or relaxation or alone time. Um, And we're very open with our children and have been from the beginning of, you know, mommy is going to rest in her room and, and daddy will tuck you in tonight. And then, you know, in that scenario, mommy, me or whomever is implementing this needs to not give in to whatever guilt she might be feeling that we're all conditioned to feel because your kids are fine. They're happy. You give them big kisses and hugs. Good night. And then you go about and doing your thing. So just as you would prioritize a family function or an appointment or a big meeting, I really recommend. And for some people, they have to literally put it as a meeting in their calendar, but I recommend carving it out and, you know, that time and making sure it's not for work or for a social event, but just for whatever you want to do mm-hmm. and, and telling your kids, this is, you know, mommy's relaxing time. Yeah. And I think if it's communicated within the partners and then each person gets that night off, that can help also with the resentment, because I could imagine if one person's like, I'm going to take this time off and the other person doesn't get it, then there were more resentment. So as we start to wrap up, is there anything I haven't asked that you want to share either about fair play, which we haven't really explained what that is, or just in general about anger and resentment during the postpartum time? Sure. So I will just say um, Fair Play is a method, a movement uh, developed by Eve Rodsky. You can go to fairplaylife.com and we have the Fair Play Policy Institute. It's basically to more equitably divide the domestic and caregiving tasks within the home. And there are several facilitators throughout the country, throughout the world, actually, that help couples and individuals with implementing the system. I am one of the trainers of the method, so I actually teach a lot of these professionals how to then teach it to their clients. Um, And there's a documentary and podcasts and and a lot of good media to consume in however you choose. Um, But it's really just a tool to alleviate the maternal mental load, which includes this feeling of resentment in the postpartum period. And I would say that my biggest kind of piece of advice, in addition to the communication that we've been emphasizing, is to take things one hour at a time. And Mm. I say that to all my postpartum women. And I also have been saying that to myself lately as we gear up. uh, It's November as we're recording this. And obviously, we're gearing up for the holiday season and sort of the, the hectic, you know, pace of everything and being pulled in a million different directions. 
And like I said, I'm a planner, but I have been finding it much more manageable to deal with things as they come. And as much as communication is important, we also need to practice mindfulness and just being able to be flexible. And hopefully that would take place alongside a partner who is a real partner. Mm, I really like that. All right. So you offered a wonderful piece of advice, but I'm going to ask, we're going to take a break, our final break. But if there's one final tip that as a new parent that, well, you're not quite a new parent, but if there's one final thing that you wish you had been told into emerging into parenthood. So we're going to take a quick break. Think about that, what, what that will be, and we'll be right back. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so we're back. So think back to when you first start to enter new parenthood. Mm -hmm. What is one thing you wish someone had told you? I wish I had known that it's okay, if not excellent, (laughs) to set boundaries, whether that's within your own partnership of, you know, what you are willing or not willing to do, whether that's with your family, extended family, whether that's with work. Um, I think it's Again, something that women are conditioned to avoid doing because they don't want to disappoint people or be looked at as unaccommodating, but it is incredibly important to set boundaries and to get support with both setting boundaries and then with whatever else you might need. And that's the kind of work that I do with my clients. And I just hope that I see women becoming more assertive in their boundary setting because they deserve it. Mm, That's great. Where can people find your work? Sure. So I am based in New York. I'm a licensed social worker in New York and Connecticut, and I work with people on various issues throughout um, the world, depending on what they are. Uh, I do corporate speaking engagements and other collaborations on topics like working motherhood, maternal mental health, gender equity, And all of that is available on my website, thecounselor.com. And my Instagram is thecounselor. So counselor, but L-A-U-R for Lauren. Oh, oh, that makes, (laughs) I missed that. (laughs) I was like, what an interesting spelling. I (laughs) I totally missed that. But Lauren, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for giving some tangible, practical tools that all those folks out there that are feeling that resentment that might be percolating, or again, I am always about being proactive, talking to their partners about this before even baby arises. I really appreciate all this great wisdom. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land. 
Grand Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.